everybody. It's Kelly Dixon. We're uh, here for the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. This is our last podcast. <laughs> but it's not really our last podcast. We, there is one next week, but we recorded it last week. Yes. <laughs> so we're, this You're is our last me. one. <laughs> My brain hurts. It's a hall of mirrors, folks. <laughs> this is our last one. This is We've gone through the looking glass. <laughs> for the last one we're recording for season one. Yeah. I imagine we will do more for season two. <laughs> This is episode 109. Uh, 109 is called Pimento. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Did you see the episode? No, I'm just kidding. Of course I oh, know. Okay. <laughs> I think, well, I remember when they were talking about these, these O titles one day at lunch. And I think that, I don't remember, I, I almost want to say that I might have thrown out Pimento. I'm not positive, you but I think Are you taking I, credit for yeah, this episode? I, no, I think, I think I might have thrown that out because I had just seen it, like... And I love the fact that, you know, it was Pimento. And I think you guys were throwing out other titles for it. And I'm like, Pimento? Maybe it was Jen. Fuck, I might be. It might have been Jen. It was Groupthink. It was yeah. the hive mind. It but it was funny mind. because there yeah. were other titles. And I, I, was, I didn't know that you guys settled on this title until like a few minutes ago. I did Don't not know that. Don't you guys got to say who's here? Well, I'm going to good, that? Jonathan, you want to do this one? Here, no, I'm going to give it I don't want to do this one. I'm sure that there are plenty of people out there who would like me to give this up and give it to you. So, I, you know. Um, uh, I'm here with uh, Vince Gilligan. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Jonathan, don't bang on the table. What the hell are you doing, man? <laughs> uh, Peter Gould. Hey, oh. Uh, writer of this episode, Tom Schnauz. Yay, Yay Tom is back. Yay. Yeah, just call me the little prince. Tom Schnauz is not here. <laughs> Only the little prince. <laughs> writer, writer, and, known as Tom and director. Yes, director yes. Tom Schnauz. Yes. 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 When um, you're talking to me about directing, I'm Tom Schnauz. When you're talking about writing, it's the little prince. So <laughs> address me accordingly. <laughs> For everybody who wants to know. I understand why he's the little prince. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Banks dubbed me the Little Prince sometime during episode 103. <laughs> See, I thought I was the Little Prince. Well, you I'm are. not the Little Prince. Okay, you were the Little Prince. I want So now you're the Little Prince. It makes me sad. Special guest star, a uh, special guest <laughs> for our podcast um, today. Uh, Jonathan Banks plays Mike. But I may be a guest star if I keep this up. <laughs> <laughs> I think according to the Emmy rules, it's too late for you to be it. The new Emmy rules say it's too late for you to be a guest star. I break this to you, but. <laughs> and uh, another special guest we have is uh, Michael Mando, who plays Nacho. Yay. Hi, everyone. Yay. Yay. Michael Mando is our, is our, Thank you. Nice He's to our be podcast here. virgin today. So yes. good to see you, Michael. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and to be among you guys in the writer room. The writer's room. Yeah, we are in the writer's room. We are in the writer's room. As we speak. We are. Absolutely. It's great to have you because I cannot tell you, I was saying before the podcast, cannot tell you how many... Uh, how many uh, folks have said? A lot of them ladies said, "Who is who is <laughs> who is that gentleman who plays Nacho? I love Nacho." Oh, really? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, and I have to give credit to you guys because the writing is so wonderful. Uh, you make us, you make it easy for us. Oh, you're very sweet. I think it's, I think it's you. I think it's you and Jonathan and Bob Odenkirk and all these great Ray. We're lucky to have this. Yeah, uh, the smartest cast. thing we do is to cast you guys, <laughs> Patrick and the other Michael. Man, we got a great cast. Julianne. Oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was fun having her on the podcast. Yeah, it was, was fun. Yeah. That was good. Uh, she's good. She's very good. No, yeah, it's a good, great, great cast. As well, I've got uh, Chris McCaleb. Chris Hello. McCaleb, my sometimes Yay. assistant, my my former assistant, and uh, a sometimes co-editor, and now he's off on his own. And we explained that in episode six. And that's right. There's been some kind of. Uh, Way I explain that in every single podcast, and it's always different. But and Chris, thank right. you very much for helping us and, out. And tears Thanks are always shed. 
Is it what's it like, Chris? Is it like this orgiastic feeling of freedom <laughs> now? Now that I'm off on my own, yes. yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's like being in the wilderness. It's cold. Oh, um, oh, I'm just looking for a home. Is is what I want? Are you? You so know, if there's I, anybody I will out say, there, please give me a home. I will say that uh, we mentioned this in the podcast for 106 that Chris is off. Um, Chris and I have worked together. Uh, we worked on a show in 2010, and then. I pulled him on to a, a show that I was a gig that I was doing for like three months, and it turned into a two and a half year stint, and uh, going from like for, for five jobs. I it think it turned right? into Breaking Bad. Yeah, it just you could just say that. How lucky <laughs> were you? Incredibly lucky. <laughs> we're all we're all jealous just, of your hair. I know. I was just gonna it's, say it's, it's really the, it's the hair that's really getting under our skin, Frank. <laughs> oh my God! I knew it. I've been I've been swept out. Well, you know, you and I, <laughs> you and I both have that problem. Is people are just jealous of our magnificent hair, our quaffs. That's right. It's it's true. That's uh, uh, Tom and I is is hair challenged and I'd just like to point out that bald men are more virile. Don't, don't you love Tom how yeah. you still have like half a head of hair but Jonathan's pulled Which you over to Which brings us to young side. Tom's marriage. <laughs> Tommy is getting married. As we record this, yes, it's a royal wedding. As we record this, sorry guys, I'm taken. Uh, <laughs> as we record yeah, that's this. some real heartbreak out there, brother. <laughs> All you men, young men out there, I'm, uh, I will have a ring on my finger very soon. Yeah, after ring after this finger? show, yeah, yeah, in several places I'll have rings. Um, as we record this, I'm not married, but as this when this airs, I I will be married. So there you go. That's a good story. Congratulations. Damn, seriously? To a, to yeah. a human? Wow. Damn, dude. Was, wow. It's California. The sky's the limit. I can... <laughs> you want to mention uh, your lovely... Uh, Kristen Carey, my lovely, lovely uh, bride to be. She is. A, she is way. Congrats. All I can say is she is way, way too good for you. Oh, I know it. <laughs> I know. It. Marrying way above his station. <laughs> yes. Way above. And if you if you want to know anything about the impending marriage, just follow the two of them on Twitter because it's all there it's out all in the <laughs> open. <laughs> She's a sweetie. Uh, he twitters. He, he and Kristen Twitter at each other. It's like I'm coming home for dinner. And then this other is not true. Too. This is not true. Yes, it, I, yes, it is. She is a sweetie, though. She she's, is, wonderful. she's wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, uh, so <laughs> I just want to kind of go back a little bit to what we were talking about before with uh, Michael. We were talking before this podcast started, and I was saying that I was hearing more about you from Far Cry, that, you know, about about this show and, and your past um, uh, job on Far Cry than I was hearing about uh, Orphan Black, and I was really surprised at that yeah i think um i think i'm very grateful for the way the fans of the uh far cry video game and the far cry experience the movie that we did the way they've been so supportive of my career and um the way that they're responding to this <clears throat> they're really really enjoying it That's and they're loving it and it's a really nice place to be so when you heard that I mean, I'm assuming that you watch Breaking Bad. I'm not, not putting it on the spot. I apologize. I, I discovered Breaking Bad late. I knew it was a great show. Oh, don't worry. Patrick Fabian it. did the same thing. <laughs> Patrick Fabian said the same thing last weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, I discovered it late. I knew, my, my family had all seen it. They loved it. I just didn't have a TV, so I, didn't, I wasn't watching a lot of um, TV shows. And then when I knew I had the screen test, I had seen half of it. And by the time that I had seen, that I, by the time I was cast, I had seen the whole thing. And I was a huge fan. And... Um, I thought everybody was brilliant. I thought the actors were incredible. I thought the writing was incredible. The the directing was incredible, and I couldn't be happier to be on this show. Well, I got to tell you, that's uh, uh, 
you were coming off of, along with a lot of other great work. Orphan Black is an excellent show. That yeah. really is. And we took Graham Manson out to lunch uh, uh, about a year or two ago. He's uh, uh, He came by the offices here, and we uh, went out to lunch with him. And he is and he speaks very highly of you, my friend. Uh, he, is, he never fucking took me out to lunch. I behave. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you ever behave? <laughs> well, Gra- Graham Manson and John Fawcett, the yeah. co-creators of Orphan Black, are extremely brilliant, wonderful people. They were extremely supportive and happy that I was joining you guys, and they have nothing but praise for the way that you've treated them. And um, good guys, everybody's mm-hmm. everybody's in on this. Uh, Really beautiful journey, and it's really nice to be a part of it. That's an Orphan Black great show. It's, it's the yeah. gold, golden age of television. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you found out that you were actually going to be sort of an anti to Tuco, right. what was that like? I mean, obviously, it, you know, you'd watch the show by then, and you... It's funny. I, and we I, couldn't call him Tuco. We no, it was Mio, and I, and I didn't know who it was. I had no idea who it was until the day before. No. The day, yeah, the no. day, yes. I, I you was, didn't know who it was. No, I was on the phone with Peter, and I a part of me wanted to say, "Why is everything blacked out?" But I was shy to ask. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, "Who is this Miho guy?" And and I don't under, I'm, I was like, um, I don't know who this guy is, and they, you know who's this character? He's very prominent in this episode." And I remember going to um, when I showed up at the offices under they had the, all the actors' name, yeah. and under Miho it was a dog. <laughs> there was a photo of a bulldog and i and i turned to jennifer and i said who's 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 this actor That's funny. and i found out the day before wow. so when i was at the wow. desert it was when i was just like i'm kind of taking it all in would have so, been funny if it was named judy dinch so when you found out i mean obviously the day before did you what kind of rehearsal did any rehearsal take place? I mean, obviously the first scene that you shot yeah. was uh, that big scene in the desert, yeah. which was a whole act. It was a massive scene. It was a massive amount of dailies. And so well cut. I appreciate that, but <laughs> not trying to you know bring that up. All I'm trying to say is that okay, so you at this point you realize that you know you're basically working uh, next to an iconic character from Breaking Bad. Yeah, I have. And I mean, so what was that like? Had you ever met Raymond Cruz? No, I had. I had never met Raymond Cruz. Just like all the actors on the show, I had a lot of respect for him. I thought he was—he's a brilliant actor. I thought the work he did on Breaking Bad was really legendary, and it was really exciting. And I have to say, you know, if it wasn't for Michelle McLaren and Bob Odenkirk, it probably would have been kind of a little bit nerve-wracking for me. I think to be kind of like arrive on Albuquerque that that morning the next day you're shooting and you just found out that you're working opposite Raymond Cruz but uh, Michelle was such a wonderful director she was so patient with me she was she really wanted us to get the character right to lay those first breaks right and Bob was on his knees he had the tape behind his his hands for two days yeah and the sun in his face and he was telling me you know let's figure this out he was patient and he was I've, I was just really, really lucky to be working with these guys. They really, really helped. And Raymond was such a um, generous guy. I actually, between takes, asked him for advice, and uh, he was so helpful and um, just very grateful, really Cause, great experience. Because I love how you guys play off each other. I mean, we all know Tuco is just being so such a hammer, and Nacho is like, I mean, one of my favorite parts is when you say, the lawyer is giving respect. You know, yeah. Tuco is like, ah! Yeah. And Nacho is very quiet. Even when Tuco is in his face, he's like... We've never seen anyone diffuse Tuco. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think? It's so well written, too. It is well written, but who wrote it? (laughs) Who wrote it? That was me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Peter Gould wrote it, and it was fantastically written. <laughs> and I think the, the key to that was to approach um, Tuco with dignity. Mm-hmm. It was to approach him with respect and to, to do so, I think, as Nacho without... And it's all in the text. It's all written in the text. It's to, to, you, Nacho approaches Tuco with dignity and respect, and he does so without messing the power structure within the group. Mm-hmm. And that was just like a masterful kind of piece of, of um, approach. I think. You said something to me. I remember uh, I was on I was on only on the set for one day, unfortunately, uh, just at the very beginning of, of, of that scene. But you said something to me that surprised me. But we actually were talking about it in the room the other day. You said that, you know, you, you really think that Nacho has love and affection for Tuco. Yes. You know, he's, he's not just handling this insane person. He actually has... There's 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 a history there between these two guys, and, and I, I think that comes out in the scene. Absolutely, yeah. What were you going to say, Vince? Oh, I, I love I love the moment. I can't even remember if it's in the script or not. I, one of my favorite moments is when it's a wide shot. It's when you grab the wire clippers from Tuco, but you don't grab them. You say, "May I?" Yeah. As I love it, "May I?" And you take the wire clippers and you go and clip this guy's finger off. And that was that, that was, was not that was, a, that was not scripted. That's a great. Well, I love I that think line. Everything yeah. that you know, honestly, it's the same thing. Was episode three? I remember Thomas saying that the 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 hands on the table wasn't scripted, but you know what? It is in the text. It's all in the text, and that and that's what happens when. And I think Jonathan can can probably back me up on this. When you have such wonderfully written text, it's all there for the actor, and and I think it all comes out from. It really springs from the text. Right. Yes, <laughs> there he backed no, me up. Yeah, so it's it, true. It, it, it is true, <laughs> which I've been saying for years now. Yeah. Yeah, it really is, and I think um, the text is so well written that an actor can really sit and revisit it so many times and deduce so much from it and build a character out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's really all praise to to the words. And we're lucky to have you guys. Yeah. Man, it was hot out there. Holy <laughs> crap! I remember I was in a tent uh, while you guys were out there. In yeah, the sun. you were taking photos. Well, I was in there. I had all the PAs put ice in their mouths and then blow on me. <laughs> and it, it it still it was tough. Whoa. I'm going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a little. Dude. That sounds like something Thomas would do. <laughs> I bet that's. I bet that's not the first time that's happened. I did not actually do that. This is going to be a little bit of an odd podcast because we're going to jump. We're going to jump around on this one because I'm going to lose you two gentlemen a little early, I believe, and I don't want to miss you know any good conversation. So I'm going to jump ahead to the scene that you guys have together, and I want to pull Tom Tom Schnauzen on this. Tom, first of all, when you guys were in the writers' room and you're like, okay, at some point, because the last time we see Nacho is in, I believe, episode 104. 104. Okay. And we're all the way to nine. And I mean, I was, I would have assumed then. It's a long gap. It's yeah, a long that, time that without we were going to see him again. We've set him up incredibly. So we're going to see him again. How did you guys decide in the writer's room when that was going to happen and why that was going to happen? Well, we knew there was going to be this meet that, uh, that uh, Price had to sell his pills to somebody. And the most natural thing seemed to be Nacho, who we always thought of as, as a guy who even though he's working with Tuco, for Tuco, under Tuco, he wanted to bra- branch out because Tuco is a dangerous guy. So he's he has this thing on the side that he's trying to get done. Um, so that's how that came about. And you also used that, um, you used the opportunity to give us a little bit, I mean, we always knew that, that, uh, that Mike was really smart, but you also give us, I love the little insight Every time I read something that you guys write from Mike where it shows how 
he's really thought through mm-hmm. the situation and can explain it very simply. Yeah, he's not going to. I mean, he he comes with no gun for a very good reason. He doesn't. But need even it. when he's talking he, about he, you know that the background that he kind of deduces yeah. as far as what Nacho no, he, is doing. No, he did his he did his legwork. He you know Mike uh, you know is not going to go into any situation without knowing what the play is, who the players are, and uh, so it was a good good opportunity to explain some of Nacho's background through Mike. And it should be said, we wanted to get Nacho in before now. We didn't mean to go this long without seeing him. It's, it's, a, it's, a, real, it's a real juggling act. Uh, you want to talk about that? It's a real it, juggling act. It is a juggling act. act. And you know, the, I think the temptation is to say that there's a formula for the episode, that we're going to have so much of this character and so much of that character. And it's, and, but the truth is, the way, the way we operate is, is a little bit more organic. And, and just thinking about how, and the great thing is that these these actors have to trust us and and it's and 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 so so jonathan jonathan's willing as far jonathan's willing to let us have him in a in a parking booth for episode after episode i've tried to get several of them in a van and they wouldn't go i think this this trusting doesn't go michael spending his his time in albuquerque waiting to see uh waiting to see when his character is gonna and i remember i specifically remember you on the set i visited the set for on episode five and there was there was a scene that you weren't in, and you were you were sitting there in Video Village watching, uh, watching the other actors, you know, and and seeing watching their process. And I just felt like you were absorbing so much at Absolutely. every minute. Absolutely, you know, honestly, but I it's think so rare for an actor to go to go to set when not on when our he's set. not in the Seahorn effect. <laughs> not on our set. Yeah. No, I think I think we were really I think the way we approached it all is that we were we knew we were working with you guys and and all these people with such high caliber. And we were really happy and grateful to be around there, to be part of the process. And honestly, I wouldn't change it. I was I told Vince this and, and yourself and I wrote you guys an email. I wouldn't change a single layout of that experience. I learned more on that set and it almost in a way it was almost a blessing not to be in it because I got to read these wonderful scripts and not have the time consumption as an actor to study them. And I just kind of analyzed them just as a as a film buff. Hmm. And I got to go on set and watch all these Emmy Award winning actors and directors and writers at work. And, it, and Melissa Bernstein, who I have such respect for. She's great. She's such to just see her, you know, do do everything that she does on set. I've just been very, very grateful, really such a learning experience. So, you know, when Ray Horn was here, she mentioned about how when she got the part that she had to keep it like under wraps and she couldn't tell anybody what her name was or anything like that and it's a whole big deal um did that happen to you as well did you um, have to keep it quiet or um yeah you had to keep it quiet i think the the, the nerve-wracking thing is you get the part and then they say you guys the name is, the character's name is eddie and then suddenly it's <laughs> nacho uh-huh. and you're thinking did my character is that a bigger character or a smaller character <laughs> and then and then you don't hear from production for about a month or two and you think oh god so uh, did you have dummy? That's not you, a good thing. Did, did Michael have dummy sides as well? Oh yes. yeah, dummy sides. Really? Everybody. What? What was oh, your? What I was think your Heather. Heather. Um, he- wrote, Heather Marion wrote uh, wrote up the fake sides. Our wonderful writers. Well, assistant. What was your character originally? It, it was really what I loved about the character. Honestly, when I saw the description, the thing that really attracted me, other than you guys associated to the project, was the fact that there were the, there were the words intelligent, dangerous, and ambition next to each other, and I thought. This is very unusual, and this is very interesting. And uh, the scene in particular was about a guy who wanted, I think, a USB key. Mm. 
That's right. Was that yeah. He oh, wanted yeah. a USB yeah. key from somebody. Yeah, 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 and and he was in a bar, and he was <laughs> he he didn't want to hurt the person, and there was some kind of a yeah. an affection to that per like a history there. Yeah, yeah. But at the very end, he made it very clear that if he doesn't, you know, deliver, then his family is in danger. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah, and it, it it must be tough because you uh, we have to we we don't like. Having to do these dummy sides, it means more work for everybody, specifically more work, in this case, for our, our, our wonderful writer's assistant, Heather. But also, I, I just I know in my heart, you guys, you read these things, and you're like, I, I kind of like that part. I wonder why I get to do that scene, and you never do. That must be a bummer. I'm no. curious how much breaking in the writer's room gets done for these like little dummy scenes. Not None, because Heather really takes it and runs mm-hmm. with it. We say to Heather... Uh, I mean, Heather's there, and in, the, in the case of Heather and, and other other folks like Gordon Smith have done it in the past in Breaking Bad. But like in the case of this, as an example, we say, and, and she's been there with us as we're breaking the story. But we say, you know, Heather, we gotta need fake sides for for Nacho. We need him to be uh, calm, cool, and collected. He's smart. He's ambitious. Uh, he doesn't. He's not a bad. You didn't see himself as a bad guy, but he sees himself as a guy who's got to get a job done, and it may get. May get unpleasant. Uh, he's not a sadist, but he can be tough when he needs to. She knows all these things, and she kind of—I don't and recall. She's been, she's been in the room with us. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's a little easier if there's already been a scene that's written, and she can she can kind that's of adapt true. one that's already that already exists and change it but, quite a but bit. But in this case, what she knew was all the discussion that we'd done about Nacho and kind of what the role he was going to play on the show, yeah. and and that was. And, and, and she did a great job. She did an amazing job. She did a the great scene job. had a beginning, middle, and end. It had an arc. And just like the scenes that you wrote, Peter, there was enough in these very small scenes to deduce a very uh, detailed psychological sketch of a character mm. in just one scene. Yeah. And I remember, Vince, you gave me a note in that uh, screen test that actually really helped shape the character. You said, I don't know if you remember, no, you said um, he wouldn't smash a bug with a, with a, s- a sludge hammer. He did, uh-huh. yeah. What is that? Not a not a guy who will kill a like a like a mosquito with a sledgehammer. Yeah, like something like probably. that. Yeah, that was yeah, one yeah, that yeah, really yeah. stuck with me. It was really. And did like, you yeah. did you fly cool. in for that for that uh, screen test? Did you have to? I, I see. I thought I remembered that you. Yeah, you yeah, in. I did. You actually. Flew it was my in. second time in LA ever, and I was wow. just like uh, staying at the hotel where Reagan stayed, and here I am meeting Peter Gould wow. and Vince Gilligan. I just wow. felt really That's spoiled. Cool. <laughs> and then and then going to going to Sony Sony for the first Sony time. Studios. Yeah, and at first I was. I was walking there, and you have to pass this cafeteria. Yes. Yeah. And, and, yes. Then, and then you, you wait in this little room, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, okay, there's no way that, that Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould and Melissa Bernstein are in that little room behind the cafeteria, <laughs> behind the kitchen. And I, I was surprised to actually realize that that's where, that's oh, no. where the screen test Sony, happened. Sony pulled out all the stops for us. <laughs> that's, oh, that's yeah. well, I but I heard that. that's a famous place where everyone goes yeah. to Michael, the screen I test. Michael, i got to quit. Did they take you to lunch? <laughs> <laughs> they, Did they take you to lunch? Because they've never taken me to lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Peter told me not to answer that question. Right. That's, that's we told you to bring a, a sandwich in a brown bag. Did as you, far did you as not giving direction, let me tell you the only direction I've gotten from Vince Gilligan that I can remember in the last three years. You butch it up? <laughs> butch it up. I, I know, don't tell me. I know what you it know, is. That was I know what it is, is, Jonathan. Can I say it? Motherfucker, don't step on my line. <laughs> but I read it. I read stay, it. Stay. It's more stink eye. 
Or less stink eye. Less stink eye. I'm in my booth. I'm in my booth. And I and, and Vince is way out there at Video Village, and I stick my head out to see. Well, was that okay? And uh, up up he comes from under his Arabian gear, yeah. and takes his sunglasses off. And he looks and he yells across the lot, "Less stink eye!" <laughs> <laughs> and, and that and is then, all then. the direction that I have gotten from Vince Gilligan. And, <laughs> I don't think that's. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. Thomas right, gave you some you. direction in episode nine, if I remember correctly. Remember, did you, Thomas? Did you Is talk? that right? I don't remember. It gets oh. very quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> so, Tom. We I, got along swimmingly, Jonathan and I. <laughs> <laughs> I want to actually talk to you, Tom, about the scene before the scene with Nacho, where Jonathan shows up in the parking garage, or mm-hmm. Mike shows up in the parking garage yes. for this first job basically that we're going to see him do mm-hmm. so talk to me about where did price come from is that a nephew of yours too no <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> because brock is your nephew right brock is my nephew yeah brock was on the show price was a name i had used in another some action script i wrote and, and I, this is at P-R-Y-C. the time yes at the time i thought oh what a cool name that is and then years later you know that never got made and then years later, I needed a, a fake name for this guy, and I, I pulled that name back out. And it just seemed very funny in his mouth to say, I'm Price. It's not my real name. I have a nephew named Price. <laughs> Always liked it. <laughs> but back to Brock. You, you mean the name Brock. The name Brock. Like, but not the the little actor played no, Brock. No, no, it's not, it's not. There's your, no it's actual not relation to me. No, gotcha. The, but but the, name the name came yeah. from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. When you guys were in the writer's room, you were basically trying to come up with a way to sort of get Jonathan into the underworld in Albuquerque. How did that? First step, just uh, dipping a toe. Your idea of uh, of you know having him get the guns off this guy, or how did that? Oh God, no! I mean that was a writer's room. I mean that all came out of hive mind. I was talking as a group. Yeah, I can't even remember specifically. So much fun. Oh it's such a great talk scene. to us. That's talk to really us, Jonathan, about that whole scene. It's such a great scene. I mean, well, first of all, let me ask you this: uh, the pimento cheese is—I don't even know if I've ever tasted that. Are stuff. you actually a fan of pimento? Yeah, oh, it's are a you? Caviar of the South. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, my, my Did that cousin, come from you? Oh my that cousins! Was, that was Wikipedia. Oh. I uh, came are up you with serious? the. Serious? Uh, That's not something you got out of Virginia. Because no, my family, no. listen, that yeah. is a delicacy. On any yeah. picnic when I'm in North Carolina, yeah, yeah. out comes the pimento cheese. Oh, yeah. I yeah. swear to God. I uh, knew you'd be eating a pimento sandwich because you ate one back on Breaking Bad, so I thought I better do some pimento research because I really knew nothing about it. And there on Wikipedia was it's it's known as the caviar of the South. <laughs> did you did you did you have you tasted it? I mean, no. did you go and, okay, I grew up curious. in the South. I've never heard it called the caviar of the South. I think caviar in the South is actually caviar. <laughs> <laughs> to to defend the honor of the all South. All right, yeah, defending all those backward people down there that eat pimento. Um, I do like pimento cheese myself. I love it. I oh, really? Yeah, it's good. Really? It's oh, good. I've never had well, it. Okay. And, and Tom kept saying, no, you can't eat your sandwich. And I said, come on, man. It's good. And I finally, finally let me eat my sandwich. We did a, we did a couple of takes where he ate the sandwich as he was driving. As was we, it really pimento? Like we were gonna, you know, all we spend on this, and he wasn't going to let me eat a pimento sandwich on white bread, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Watch out for your health. Put us over budget. <laughs> So, I, didn't uh, get, I didn't want to get, get to get sick. I didn't know how long that pimento sandwich had been sitting in the floor of the car. Yeah, sure, right. <laughs> can, you, can you talk to us about the other actors in the scene, uh, Jonathan, and the whole stunt coordination, I guess, that had to get done? And well, they're all fun. Like, you we know. had uh, Stephen Ogg was the was the fellow you punched in the throat, <laughs> who was uh, named. Where did that in the, come in from? The, the whole punching named, in the throat. In the oh, I don't know. Wonder where that came from. <laughs> 
Because <laughs> <laughs> every time Jonathan, if you ever get to meet Jonathan Banks, I think it's like, if you imagine being in his head, it's like the Terminator, and he's scanning your body for places to punch. And <laughs> what would be, what would be cause the most damage, and what would hurt him the most? And it's just like, locks it under throat. like, oh, I'm gonna punch him there. See, there I was some it. truth in that. I just did Conan O'Brien, and, and he yeah. had mentioned because it was in like, well, they filmed a bunch of them at once. But he, he says something about his mother slapping him when he was a kid. You know, child training, right? Yeah. So then they do a new show, and I walked out, and my first line to him was, I said, so your parents slapped you around. So it was kind of this running theme <laughs> through the whole thing. And then at one point, I said to the audience, do you think he's going to see this coming? And anyway, I did not <laughs> Well, Jonathan, let me ask you. I've heard you threaten punch people in the throat yes i've heard you threaten to punch people in the heart yes how do you decide whether you're going to threaten the throat well or the i heart? generally choose the heart it, okay. it causes a greater reaction there's you got a real visual out of that <laughs> anyway so we had this opportunity to have mike smack somebody in the throat really hard and yeah. so it was it was good fun and and steven Ogg, who played uh, uh soap Shack, we named him after uh the character Walter Sobchak, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, we named him after the character from uh, uh, Big Lebowski. He did a great job. He was and then the funny. other fella, David Maddy. Uh, David Maddy played Man Mountain. How tall is that fella? He, he is, is a, a he is a big drink yeah, of water. He was like six ten. Wow, he's like a he's a scientist or an engineer. He's a sweet, he has a lot, seriously? Of, a lot of education. Yeah. Yes, I didn't know that. And a sweetheart. Yeah. Wow. Very nice. Very funny, actually. He, he didn't have many lines during the scene. I think. When I found out how funny he was in person, I probably should have given him more stuff to say. But well, who knows? Maybe we'll see him again in the future. We might. Yeah, we I might. mean, uh, both those gentlemen did a great job. And then and Mark, Mark Crook. Crook shows up, who is... That's Price. Who he plays is, Price. He plays Price in his, in his wood-paneled minivan, who is you, so goddamn funny. And if you ever get to go go on YouTube and look up uh, K. Strauss, the Zim Zam Yo-Yo Man, oh, and God. see uh, Mark in action, he's very funny. The Zim Zam Yo-Yo Man, you turned me on to this, and you sent me the email link, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and well, Bob I, told me, but Bob knew, oh. knew Mark before, and Bob told me about uh, this this stuff. I'd never heard of it. But I finally watched it. I laughed so hard, I, I started to choke. We've we watched it in the writer's room yeah, more than once. Yeah, he, he goes on... I'm getting this right, right? He goes on on morning uh, TV, morning news talk shows, talk shows around the country, a, as if he's a yo-yo expert, and he knows what he's doing, but he has no command of the yo-yo at all. <laughs> and he's and just these poor newscasters are just trapped <laughs> on live television. I love the and one they, where they have no idea. They have no idea that there's a gag. He goes on under false, with yeah, false yeah, pretenses, yeah, yeah. and he. He punks them. I love the he guy. He's wearing a shirt that says Zim Zam Yo-Yo Man. And I love the one newscaster who keeps calling him the Zip, Zip Zap, Zap Yo-Yo Man. <laughs> I've got, by the way, I have a Zim Zam shirt coming on oh. order. I have oh. a Zim Zam shirt. I'm going to wear it proudly. I hope uh, Mark is making some dough off that. Probably not. But uh, <laughs> I can't wait to meet him. All, all four of the guys, uh, Mr. Banks here included, in that scene. My prediction is, I told you guys this the first time I ever saw it edited after your director's cut, was this scene will be on YouTube like five minutes after the show airs on the East Coast. That's one of the great joys of the job is that I knew Vince was going in to watch my episode for the first time and it was the editing room just a couple of doors down from my office 
And all of a sudden, I started hearing this laughter, this Vince laughter. And I was like, whew. <laughs> it was so goddamn great. It was yeah. a relief to hear. Here's really my good. question. And How did you manage episode. to not fuck this one up? <laughs> because he's that's really a talented. Question. I'm going to be all seriousness in this. You are so, I mean, you're I, a I great know director. you really hate to hear is, us say really this is, all the yeah. time, but you are really, really, really talented. Kelly, you're a talented motherfucker. You are. You're, you're the <laughs> you're, talented motherfucker. You're a talented motherfucker. No, you're the talented motherfucker. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> Great we can't wait job. till we get me and you, the two talented know, motherfuckers, keep, together, uh, man. We've had one episode together, but we didn't get to be in the editing room. Episode four twelve of Breaking Bad was uh, end times. Emmy Emmy nominated Emmy nominated, Emmy nominated episode four twelve. You've that, never written an episode except for that one that, that Kelly that Kelly edited. Yeah, yeah. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. We, and we've one, never worked is together. Twelve when you killed me? No. No, that's in that was five oh seven. And that was the first time Tom directed. That was and this was a, this is this, this time, episode's yeah. the second time you directed. Thomas, the first time you directed is when Jonathan Banks's character. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where the rivalry comes and, from. And the little prince immediately. <laughs> that's gets, where it comes because from. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where we got our who and whom from. Oh, no, no, no. That was episode four oh nine. Episode four oh nine. You said four twelve was your first episode. Oh, you were a writer. No, that was working with Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'll follow. I'll follow. Yeah, 412 was the first time Kelly Dixon had ever edited an episode that I had ever written. of all the yeah. ones you've yeah. written. And he just, was you, you and Moira, I think, didn't that's you guys write that together? WGA Emmy, nominated. Emmy nominated. Was it Emmy nominated and WGA nominated? I was nominated for an Emmy on that one. That was my first time. We lost to Vince Gilligan. So, Tom casting Mark. Mark Prooch actually auditioned for Mr. Kettleman, and he was like, he was very close to being Mr. Kettleman. Uh, he was very funny on his audition, and and when this role came up, he was like the first person we thought of, because yeah. we just we liked him from his original audition. Then he came back and yeah. and read this, and uh, he was hysterical. This just goes to show you, and we've talked about this on the podcast, either this or I'm probably Breaking Bad in the past, but you know, acting, you guys, it's I gotta think it's tough for you guys. Uh, I mean, you guys now are, are well known, and but back in the early days, you're career going out putting yourselves out there and getting turned down as every actor does especially in the early going but you know from a from a producer's point of view i can't tell you how often like with that mark brooks Mm -hmm. story we see so many wonderful actors and we know kind of quickly that they're not right for certain roles sometimes but then we always kind of the really good ones you always file away so that i gotta think from a the point of view of someone who has, does not have to go through the pain of auditioning. It's not, it's not my line of work. But I would think to actors listening, a uh, non-actor's bit of advice to you is, especially in the early days, those auditions are important. You may not get the role, but it could be a, a little seed that's planted that could pay, that could grow into something, pay dividends uh, weeks or months or even years later. Someone in that room says, you know, that guy wasn't right for that role that particular day. But man, he was good. She was good. Mm-hmm. You know, let's file that away in the old brain. And, and we'll, stem, we'll frequently know. say to be Ollie Thomas, you know, we like this person. Can we see him again or her again in the future? I've had actor friends who get frustrated, and they say, ah, oh, I keep, you know, they, I keep getting called back for that particular show. They're driving me over, crazy over yeah. and over again. You know, they keep they keep calling me back, and I never get the role. I always say it's because they like you. Yeah, they want to use you. They want you to be the one. They want you to be yeah. the one. Yeah. And and you know that's the other thing. You just you really are out there rooting for for people to yeah. be good. Yeah. You know yeah. that's that's the. Uh, I would uh, say this as a, as a long, yeah, I can I say it honestly, a long long time actor now. You know what? There and there are all those wonderful actors that maybe it never happens for. So I would say to you 
and that the belief in yourself, and I've said it a thousand times, my God, this is what you've gotten into, and you better be prepared for this, because it can be, obviously, a desolate journey. Hmm. I have a question for you, though. When when we're talking about that, Brian did X-Files. Yeah. Brian Cranston. Yeah. Now, it's how many years since he did the X-Files before he does Walter White? That's about eight years. Isn't it like eight? Yeah. About eight, eight years. Yeah, nah, about it's eight. It's like season and six or something. Eight or eight and a half, nine, something like and that. And you yeah. tell me yeah. if I'm wrong about this, that Vince and Tom and Peter, from when they were young kids, essentially watched me in Wise Guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Huge fan. So you yeah. jump forward. 24 more years mm-hmm. before I do Mike Armantrout. Yeah. Yeah, and Vince is fanboying it up while at the computer saying, oh, we got him. <gasps> Yay. <laughs> I mean, he came he in really a red for us. For us. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that is how it works quite often. It's, uh, you know, and, and it could work with a famous person like uh, you or Brian, someone who is known to the public, or it could work with an actor who is not yet famous, uh, uh, not yet a known quantity, but who... A producer remembers uh, from a from a session saying, "You know, and we really like that person." We had yeah. somebody we knew know in this episode, Steve Stedden from the Lone Gunman. Huge fans of Steve, and we didn't use him at all in Breaking Bad. We looked at him several times for, but he, there was just never a role for him. And then a role came up in this episode in the teaser, which we had to cut for time. I so wasn't going to mention it, but I'm glad um, you brought it up. If I can, is it all right to talk about it? Yeah. We, there yeah was a, I, you know, I won't so. give the details of the teaser, but we just had a teaser. It was a flashback teaser to uh, the Jimmy McGill's past. And, uh, you know, we, we think we've been doing this many, many years, and we think we know how to crack these episodes and get them right. And this episode was uh, 15 minutes over, <laughs> over at one point, and we just had to lose the teaser. Uh, and it's a scene that I really like a lot. It's a great Hopefully, scene. Hopefully. And he was he great cried. in it. I That's heard a really cried. Good scene. <laughs> That's a great scene. I I wept. Yeah, Steve. I howled in pain. Steve and Raphael's barge, and Mm -hmm. uh, the other, the young, uh, another actor, Blake Bertrand, was uh, was great. Who all three of them were wonderful. Yeah, I was really happy with it. it, But you know, just written and directed. It was just one of those things that you know, what can you know, we it 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 could fall out of this out of the story (laughs) because it was a flashback and not really affect. But the other thing, too, and I mean, I hope I'm not overstepping mentioning this, is just because we don't see it now, it it, we've shelved it for a reason, and you're not describing it for a reason, because there is every hope that it may be used in the future. Yeah, we shelved it simply for time. Originally, the episode was just too long to show. And that's that's why this particular teaser will not be a DVD extra. Yeah, that's that's originally what I was going to say. Because this may end up coming up coming up on the show uh, next season. We use use every part of the buffalo. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about you've put Jimmy and Chuck outside in the the teaser which was originally the start of act one start of act one right yeah and i'm basically assuming that they were trying to get chuck more used to being outside and to try and get him back into action in the episodes leading up to it yeah i mean we had seen chuck outside and he was he was conditioning himself and then at the end of episode uh, eight he walks outside right uh, so engrossed in his work that he, he discovers he's outside so when we started talking about this episode, we thought, well, what's the next step? Is he is he back inside, or is he or is he uh, is he toughing it out outside? And uh, that's where we started when we we started breaking this episode. Yeah. And then I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Chuck's sort of suggesting to Jimmy, 
about partnering. It, the the work is the workload is getting too much mm-hmm. for the uh, class action suit yeah. that they're trying to file. And so Chuck suggests they partner with HHM, and mm-hmm. Jimmy is not happy at all with this situation. I mean, he he really is feeling like HHM is the bad guy, and Howard is the bad guy, mm-hmm. and. You know, the last it's, thing that he wants to Jimmy's do is... Jimmy's case. Why share it? Why share it? And, and Chuck We makes can a, do it together. <clears throat> Chuck makes a very clear, compelling argument that it's just impossible. We will go bankrupt. We'll be doing this for years and years and years. And In his living room. <laughs> it'll affect the outcome for the you know, the victims of Sam Piper. Um, he just... And since Chuck is already part of HHM, it's just a logical step. So Jimmy does the... What is the smart thing he thinks is he, he says, okay, I'll do it. I'll join with uh, HHM. And, and he's I'll, getting all excited about having an office next to Chuck. But, but it's not easy for him, though. He does, no, yeah, no, he doesn't want to. I mean, just to, you know, he, he decides, I'll, you know, I have to work with Howard Hamlin. I'll just grit, I'll grit my teeth and I'll, I'll bear it and I'll do it. Also, all anybody's been doing is telling him to do his own thing. Be your own man, be your own lawyer, yeah. and he finally does it, and it's like, okay, great. Well, let's just go ahead and fold that back into yeah. HHM, <laughs> yeah. where yeah. we rejected you so long ago. Right. Yeah. I want to talk to you guys about how you decided to go about this in the writers' room. You're, you're going to get Chuck outside to not only be outside, but to grab Jimmy's phone and use it, mm-hmm. and and come up with a plan. We don't know at that point what Chuck is doing. We just know that. I mean. Now that I think about it, has Chuck been trying to condition himself for this all along? I don't think so. I think this. Uh, I didn't. I think when he started going out, he was genuinely trying to get better. Sure, sure. He wants to get better. He doesn't want to live like this. No, but, no, uh, absolutely. But now that things have come to a head, and here's this. Here's this little piece about I'm going to get an office next to you. That was, that was a bridge too far for Chuck. Yeah, and, and, and we were really surprised uh, as the season went on. We were surprised to find out how jealous Chuck was of Jimmy. Yeah, when we started, we, we did not think when we started out that Chuck was the one who was sabotaging Jimmy's future at HHM. A lot of that came out of uh, just working with the character, but then some of it came out of actually, I think, watching Michael McKeon, who <clears throat> plays the character. He the, the character has so much pride the way yeah. Michael plays him. Yeah. And I think that this is one of the beautiful things about television is that you can watch the characters come to life and then they can start guiding where the story goes. And this was this was an example where I, I think even as recently when we were when we were breaking this season, even when we broke episode seven, I don't think we knew where where no, we were going we were, where we're going right. to Chuck. Because we was, were just shooting. That was uh, we were breaking episode seven in Albuquerque while Vince was that's right. directing. So I think soon during that process is when we started thinking about wait a minute chuck ha- might have uh, some uh, some other deep feelings about his brother yeah that uh, we're learning up till then we thought hamlin was the bad guy pure and simple and uh, wow seriously wow is that, that's true right i think that yeah. is that yeah. is that is true and we also thought of chuck as sort of a uh, helpless yeah. uh, like like a helpless person who jimmy yeah. had to help uh, had to had to take care of and then this this uh, this other side of him surfaced and then the question was, you know, when are we going to reveal this, and how is this how is this going to unfold? And I love I love Michael what you were saying uh, just a few minutes ago about how uh, you're giving us very nice credit about how the stuff that you actors uh, work from it's 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 kind of all in the all in the text as you put it. But you know, really, there is this points out there really is a whole other side to it. Which is what you just said about uh, in this in this one example, Michael McKeon, and yeah. it happens all the time. It, it happens does. with Nacho. It happens with uh, 
the character Ray Seahorn plays. It happens with Bob Odenkirk. It happens. It has happened with Mike. Mike. It, and, and that we see, we writers see how good you guys are. And more specifically, we see certain strengths that you possess, certain qualities, uh, like like you said a second ago in the in the example of Michael McKeon, mm-hmm. a certain pride he brings to the character that's not necessarily in the text mm-hmm. certain subtleties that uh, that so it really it really does go both ways it's not always in the text or, or rather sometimes it is in the text but it only winds up in the text because of stuff you guys naturally brought to it before and this is one of the things that's so unique and special about uh, television because we wouldn't you know if you're doing a movie you, you you've written your you've written your script and then the question is who what are we what are we going to you know how are we going to make the best version of this script this you know this or even a play and this in this version we get to we, we kind of play together we get to we get to it's very interactive and it's one of the things that makes this particular medium kind of kind of have its own special excitement yeah absolutely well, that's good writing <laughs> in that same vein i find what i found really interesting about this experience is you like nacho goes away and then comes back and as an actor and as a character, what's interesting in television as well is your character grows and learns. Mm-hmm. So you, you, if you make a mistake in an episode and you come back in an episode or two later, you're changed, both the actor and the character. And that's, a, that's also a, an attribute of television that's yeah, very I mean, exciting. Right. You yeah. get to have a 62-hour episode, I mean a 62-hour movie instead of a 90-minute movie. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more that can be done. I keep thinking of them as the same animal, but they're not, and it's and they're not for that. All the same equipment is used, you know, the same artistry and both, but it's the difference between, as you just said, Kelly, a 100-hour story and a, and a 90-minute story. There's just, they're different forms. And, and there's some, I mean, certainly movies, or, uh, yeah, movies are king, and we're huge movie fans. And we I all, like them both. We want to work in both, but it's... it's uh, you know, you want to take advantage of the medium that you're, you're the medium yeah. you're in. Yeah. I, I have a question now. If you guys start a script, a movie script, yeah. and you're on page 20, and all of a sudden this character, there's a character there that you hadn't planned to take on life, and she begins to take on life, mm-hmm. and then she becomes become more elaborate. If it's character driven, yeah. Mm-hmm, it's it more or less it, it it's 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 similar to what we're talking about. I've had that's that happen, true, but without that's the, in the writing process as opposed to having an actor, yeah. Yeah. an actor who who may emphasize a certain part of the role or or bring some of themselves to it that that might even seem invisible to you guys. I mean, it might just seem, yeah. it, you know, you're saying it's the text, and maybe maybe sometimes it is, but sometimes it's just you're bringing who you are to it. Well, I so, feel like I've been a recipient of that well, big time. You have no. well. Yeah, you were <laughs> we talking. Know who was a big recipient of it? Was Aaron Paul for God's yeah, sake? That's true. Kill his ass off. Yeah. Well, and you know what? He was so. <laughs> and I, he was so good. And I we've think talked I was. About that many times. I was talking to this just earlier in the week to an AFI audience, an audience of AFI students about Aaron. Well, I, I used Aaron Paul as an example. He is. I just pictured on the on the Breaking Bad pilot, uh, the part of Jesse Pinkman being kind of a young punk, and you know, funny, but just kind of a punk, and. Uh, Aaron Paul has such a sweetness to him and and such a depth of feeling to him and that is not what I thought of before I ever cast him I just saw Jesse as kind of a young punk and all of that sweetness and complexity and uh, depth of feeling 
it, we couldn't help but let it suffuse into the into the character. And and obviously we love the guy so much. There's no way we're going to kill him off, even though that was the original plan. I but remember. but he's just such a it just you can't help but let that stuff. You'd be idiotically rigid as a showrunner to say, all right, this guy in real life, he's a sweetheart. I mean. To be fair, I guess they're, you know, using Gustavo Fring as an example, the real guy who plays him, Giancarlo Esposito, is as sweet a guy as they come. But, so I guess there are, but and yet there are there are elements of Giancarlo in the part of Gus Fring, but but he is very different than the part. But but sometimes you just, most of the time, you just kind of, you kind of let, uh, you can't help over a TV schedule, but let, let the qualities of the actor or actress uh, suffuse into, if I'm using that word right, into the into the character. Well, I remember reading. I was there on that pilot, and I remember reading that, and I I do remember it being very much of a punk. And uh, Aaron Paul did have a a very personal way to play that character, where you just got a lot more out of him than I I, I mean I I hate to say it, Vince than was on the page. Yeah. I feel like he brought. Uh, a lot more, you know, emotion and vulnerability. He did. It was not in the script that I wrote. You're right. You know, and and I mean, that's not, I don't mean that to be a knock on you at all. It's just that it did very differently. (laughs) That was Tom saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know what? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get off on that too much because I I definitely want to keep on point here because we're getting to a scene which I feel like is probably one of the most devastating to me of the series. I remember when I watched it, I was just so hurt i mean i've i've definitely got a very soft spot in my heart at this point for jimmy mcgill and i knew what was happening but the way that bob odenkirk played this i was just so very hurt for him and i was thrilled to see so much emotion being played on this and this is the scene where jimmy and chuck go to the office and jimmy says yeah i'm gonna have the office how about giving the office right now to chuck and there's this thing that that you see between Chuck and Howard where Jimmy is really wanting Chuck to stick up for him and Chuck's not doing anything and Jimmy is so hurt by that and you're like and I think as an audience member we're kind of like why you know why Howard do you hate him so much And, and, and we don't really know at this point I don't think we don't know at this point that that Chuck is the bad guy we we not know that, that not in the yeah and scene. but it's just so heartbreaking because some people might we, we, we talked a lot about the phone that phone call yeah that mailbox phone call we're wondering worried that we were giving too much away yeah. that he's going out and he's making this mysterious I phone call i never got that yeah well, that, I well i'm glad some that people you didn't. may some, some people, people might some people i'm not won't. worried too much if they no do but it's even if yeah. you do i think it still works i still you know, on multiple viewings of it, you know, I, you know, I know, I know what's happening, but it, to me, the, those actors are so good at, at revealing the emotion yeah. that it, it works every time for me. I was more drawn myself. Like I said, I did not cut this, so I've only seen it like twice. Skip and McDonald, by the way, Skip McDonald. We got to give him a shout out. Who did cut this episode? Who I wish we had had on the podcast uh, this season. We'll get him on next. And next Curtis year. was also and a co-editor. Yes, and, and Curtis Thurber did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was just really taken with how much emotion that Bob has. That, Bob is that, so good. Bob, I mean, Bob has been great the whole series. And he, I mean, he does his homework. He, all these guys do their homework. They, they. Oh, but Bobby, Bobby really does his homework. And I just insert this really quickly. Just the load. That, I mean, Jimmy McGill is a blabbermouth, so Goodman's <laughs> a blabbermouth. And the load that he has to carry just with memorization, 
because there are limits to the time we have to do it. It's listen, this it's guy, a lot to memorize, but I mean, it's also the emotional arc. Well, yeah, but I mean, a, that's that's the homework. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Listen, man. And never would I have thought, and I've said this plenty of times before, that Saul Goodman would show this kind of emotion. I never thought that I would see this, that this kind of thing would affect him. Yeah. Well, we never so much. saw Saul's personal life, and like no. with most people, you meet all the time. You don't see a lot of what's going on in their personal lives, and there's a lot of angst and pain and things. You never, I mean, you meet people every day. You but, never, Jim, but Saul Goodman has no pain. There's no pain. Please. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. I always felt that Saul Goodman had that humanity in him when I would watch it. And Did I think that's really? because of Bob. I think it's Bob Odenkirk yeah. as an actor, as a person, had that. And I could see it. There well, was an affection bad. in the timber of his voice. Yeah, you know? and he feels bad about Brock being poisoned. Yeah. And he feels bad about that, that phone call they make to... Uh, to Hank about uh, Marie supposedly being in a car accident. He feels bad when, oh, he, 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 does when he looks feel at bad Francesca and breaks that phone. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. there's stuff going on that he's not hes not a complete scumbag in Breaking Bad. <laughs> and, and you're also yeah. a really, really wonderful director to work oh, with, Lord, really. Lord. Uh, you, you work so well with actors. They, they respond to you. They feel they can communicate with you. Wait, and, wait a minute, Jonathan. Um, Jonathan has to chime in <laughs> no, but I, but I, I really, I really mean it because it's because when an actor feels so comfortable with a director, to to be able to express himself and have conversation with, it makes you comfortable and it lets the emotions out quicker. Good, excellent. So, yeah. <coughs> so at the <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Mr. 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 Banks has to weigh in here. So, so I guess in in you know you've got Kim also asking, questioning Howard. At that point, why? Why are you doing this? Yeah, and that's a. That was a. I was really glad to get to write that scene because um, Kim, several times throughout the series, has pretended not to be friends at all with yeah. with Jimmy. He's like, yeah, we're we're kind. Yeah, I know him. We're kind. You know, whatever. We're you know, we're in touch sometimes. But she goes in because she thinks that's he, a big move for her. She's going into like the one of the partners yeah, and he's questioning. Been, he's think she's thinking that. Her friend has really been wronged, and is like, you know what? I'm going to take a stand. She decides to take a stand. Yeah, I and she gets pushed too. back a little bit, yeah. and she gets pushed back hard by Howard. Gets slapped down. Really. Yeah, yeah. So, so much that he he does it in a way he he oversteps, like he really smacks her down, and, and he Patrick, feels bad. Patrick's about Patrick's great too in that moment because yeah. we've never seen him unleash. Yeah. Any kind of he's been so controlled he's all been, the way through the series, and then at that moment, she really gets under his skin, and it's 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 terrific because he knows how everybody sees him. He knows yeah. what the secret he's keeping for Chuck, you know, affects the perception of how everybody looks at him, and yeah. he's been he's been riding that and going with it, and like I'm going to do this, but then he, when she says the things that she says, he he breaks. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm assuming because of. The, the next scene that we see her in where she's talking to Jimmy and like, you know, telling him maybe you should take the deal. I'm I'm feeling like he explained to her yes what was happening. Mm-hmm. So basically, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys, why did you decide to play that? I mean, obviously, it's better to find out what's going on with Chuck with Jimmy and Chuck. But why did you go? How did you guys decide to actually not have that on screen? You could have put it anyplace else as well. I think for the reason you said is that you want to be in in Jimmy's head. You want to experience the truth through him, even though he figures it out off screen uh, when he sees his, his phone. When he puts his phone to charge, it, things start clicking together for him. Um, he learns about everything off screen. He doesn't learn about it in that moment with Chuck. He's figured it out, and he comes in yeah. like a prosecutor trying to get the truth out of the out of the, his uh, the guy on the stand. Yeah. Why? Because um, you and because you never want to say anything twice. Yeah, you don't want to explain uh, everything. Yeah. On any TV show or it, any movie. Yeah. That's a good point. I I understand that. I guess 
I guess I'm kind of sticking on the same on that subject only because why is it that Kim then would suggest to Jimmy? Because it's such a horrible thing to have to say, you know, your brother, is your fucking, brother yeah. is deceiving you. Yeah. Probably. And, uh, you know, going in, what's the what's the right thing to do? I don't you know. I don't know. Do you say your brother's deceiving you? Is it better to live in ignorance and never know this horrible, horrible thing yeah. that he's been doing? Yeah. So she goes in and says, you know, Jimmy will probably be happier with the money. Just take the deal and you'll never know that her, her, his own brother has screwed him over. Better for him to think that Hamlin is the pig fucker. That's yeah, the word that got dipped, by the way, in <laughs> case you didn't figure it out. Better for him to think Hamlin's the bad guy than, than his own flesh and blood. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then chronologically in the in the script, we we're brought back to what we were talking about earlier. But I just want to, uh, this is the scene with, uh, with Nacho and uh, Mike. But I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, have, when you have that scene in the van with Mike and Price Mm -hmm. and you have John uh, excuse me Mike talk about the differences between a bad guy and um, a criminal yeah I got got, yeah it's really well I was very lucky to get so many of these scenes in, in this particular episode, it just worked out that way it's because you're a talented motherfucker (laughs) it was just something yeah you wrote this stuff man well I mean, we all worked on it together. Stop being so, so like, goddamn falsely modest. Uh, Yay, Thomas. Because, um, you know, if Vince did it, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be doing Thomas that. Schnauz. I'd be like, it was me, bitches. <laughs> it was all me. It That's was what... all me. Well, when we were doing the mic. Blow more ice. Breaking ice out cold the mic. breath on me. The Mike Price storyline, we thought, well, what you know, is this just these standalone scenes in this episode? That, you know, because they never weave in with Jimmy. So they should say something about the overall feeling of what, you know, what the series is about and a lot of what Mike says in that sort of speaks to you know what the theory of the of the show is is that there are you know good criminals and you know bad cops and bad priests and honorable thieves you know so that's it really states what you know what Mike is about and sort of what Saul becomes in the future and Price is a guy so ridiculously out of his element oh, yeah. <laughs> that he doesn't even, it, I mean, when I watched it, I got a lot out of what Mike was saying, but I don't think Price is getting much out of it at all. He's kind of like well, not we'll, really getting it. We'll have to find out. But let's <laughs> talk to these two gentlemen who were there. Uh, that was a fun, where is that, by the way, to start with? Where it was up Route 25, um, about a half an hour, I guess, north of Albuquerque. And what was that place? It was just an abandoned factory. Yeah, I don't know. It, was more it looks factory, very much like sort of trickin' farm-esque. It almost looks like a power plant. Was it a power plant? I think there was something to do with chemicals or power there. I think so. But let's talk to these guys about the... About the, 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 the Nacho and Mike. Nacho and Mike. Sizing each other up. Great. I can tell you what it was for me. That Here comes the kid across there with those silly-ass boots that you wear and that stuff. And I love that. And I'm telling you, man, I had the sun so deep in my eyes. I thought, you know... He could, you know, I, I thought that whatever the reality might be, he'd just shoot me dead because I can't see a thing. Um, that was fun. I love the confrontation. I love that confrontation. And you're, you know, Michael's so respectful, you, you know, and, and thank you. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. And honestly, it was, a, it was an honor to share the screen with you. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and admiration, and it was a real pleasure to share that moment with you. All about twenty bucks. Yeah. I love that bucks, bit. Yeah. Is that that's a good deal? That's a good bit. <laughs> oh, is, it, is that thing on a little invisible wire when it goes? No, we talked about several ways of blowing that thing, and we eventually just put a fan in there and blew it out of uh, 
Yeah. Blew it out of Michael's hands. That's very nicely done. I like that. How long did that whole scene? Was that a whole day of shooting? That was a day. Okay. Was it a whole day we were there? Yes. Wow. And Michael, what did was Did you get a pimento it? sandwich for lunch? <laughs> I did. I eventually had my sandwich, <laughs> so which we, I enjoyed. We hadn't seen Nacho for a little while. Right. I think what's interesting to go back to the characters developing is that he goes away, but he comes back and he has an earring. So obviously I said to myself, this must have meaning. You know, something happened that Nacho, you know, he wouldn't put an earring or a tattoo or a, a watch for no reason. Mm -hmm. And you see Nacho... Um, making moves that are maybe a little more avant-garde than the the, the the Kettleman scheme. He's actually making steps. Yeah. I kind of look at it as that, look, Nacho told Jimmy McGill what he was going to do. That was a big step for Nacho to do. I mean, he didn't have to do He was basically saying, hey, I'll give you a finder's fee. You know, you want to jump in on this with me, right? So Nacho basically told Jimmy what he was going to do. Nacho also told Jimmy, Jimmy said, I don't want anything to do with this. And this is Claude lawyer client. So, you know, whatever you said, it's going to go no farther than here. Mm -hmm. And Nacho also uh, left that scene saying, you know, you rat, you die. Right. So Nacho is going to do what Nacho is going to do, whatever he needs to do to find this money. If that means driving that van over there. Um, the One of the reasons that Nacho got caught is because Jimmy McGill basically, you know, decided to you Absolutely, know yeah, violate yeah. that lawyer client privilege yeah. and say something if jimmy hadn't done that there's a good chance that nacho may have you know I, what i don't know what would have happened right. but jimmy mcgill stepped in Absolutely. And, 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 and made it so that nacho ended up in a place where you know cuz nacho may have been thinking very very smartly i i almost feel like maybe nacho's mistake was you know not casing jimmy mcgill enough to think that maybe he was, you know, well, in that here's, place. Here's what I feel. I feel I feel like there were four th four pillars out of, and I don't want to take too much time to no, talk. No, this is good. Yeah, this yeah. is this is what we're here for. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'll say it real quick. I felt that in the in the episode that you wrote, Peter, where Nacho's introduced, it's for the first time. That's like the the first insight that I got as an actor. What this like this guy's psychological insight was, and the scenes were so brilliantly written that within those two moments, it was enough to draw these four really solid pillars of who this guy's who this guy was and the first one was his evident intelligence that was apparent in the kettleman scheme but more importantly in his ability his refined ability to communicate with tuco mm -hmm. and that ability to kind of switch to go from tuco to jimmy and then back to jimmy and every time he approached one of those characters the 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 approach was different so mm -hmm. there was a malleability there mm. the second one was the thing we talked about earlier the 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 dichotomy of compassion and violence that live within this within this one character, mm -hmm. like Sky and Sa Land, almost the opposite of Jimmy, who's at war with his moral compass and his personal ambitions. The third one was his is his ambition, and then the fourth one is exactly what you mentioned. It's that human cord. You know, why does he pick Jimmy? Why is it that this man is willing to entrust his life to this guy who comes from a completely different social milieu? He probably cased for a week because he waited about a week to, to go and see Jimmy. Yeah, it's that's been true. a week. Yeah. But why is it? And I felt that's, that 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 was a, almost a power move because when Jimmy says no to him, as opposed to getting rid of him, he empowers Jimmy by giving Jimmy his number, further incriminating himself, and believes in Jimmy before Jimmy believes in himself that's, that's, that's true. Well and Nacho's the first person. I, th I think he's the first person on the show to really. Have that have that feeling that Jimmy McGill is is half a crook. 
Yeah, and, yeah. And 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 I, so that that all that all makes a lot of sense. I I love hearing that. that yeah. The other, the other thing I was gonna say about that whole situation before, not this one, but the earring. I would think that you know one of the parts of this episode that Tom has written and we've talked about is that this is a situation where Nacho is going out on his own. So that may be a situation where he's stepping out and symbolically setting himself apart from Tuco. So maybe that's, you know, I don't know, that's my thought. Maybe that's yeah, what no, that I means. Yeah, no, I think it's all in there. I think it's all in there for you know? sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it, yeah. We're getting towards the end here, and, and I just want to really talk to you, Tom. I mean, we, we talked about how Jimmy goes back to the office and he figures out basically that his phone, with, with the whole thing about his phone being dead, and mm-hmm. he knows he turns it off every time, and he sort of figures this, he, he you know looks up and he sort of figures it out. And then he goes over and confronts Chuck. And this is the second devastating scene that happens in this penultimate episode. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys decided and that you decided that this would not be the finale? Oh God, I don't, I don't know how we decided that. I mean, just, you could have bulked things out and and put this in the last episode. Yeah, I guess you could have. Yeah. Um, But you know, I can't even I can't even remember why this ended up in this episode. But you know, it just felt like a natural. I mean, yeah, it just you so did, many episodes of Breaking Bad. The penultimate episode had the the, the giant shoe dropping cliffhanger, uh, big dramatic smasheroo moment. Uh, yeah, like yeah. like uh, five oh seven. I you know we got yeah. when Mike died. That was I mean that could have easily have been the end of the season. But yeah. there was what a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> there was just more story to tell. Yeah, um, I was so sad. That was sad. I was so sad. You know, sad. we talked about everybody wearing armbands on the set. Yeah, right? that's right. I was the so crew. upset about that. I remember uh, black armbands uh, in in solidarity with. Uh, anyway, I can't. Well, sp- I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak to why that scene was in my episode, but it just when you're breaking these episodes, things just fall in a natural place, and you feel like it just sort of had to happen when it when it happened. Um, and we, and if, when you watch episode ten, you'll see that Jimmy has more places to go. Oh, so fun, uh, fun, fun, fun stuff <laughs> coming up in episode ten. But you know R- what? Written you, and directed by Mr. Gould. Can you talk about a little bit about that scene about when he confronts Chuck and, you know, it was it was a great scene for me to write. I had a just awesome time unfolding everything that happens, and and Bob does such a great job as far as stringing Chuck along, That's and beautiful. and he knows the truth, and he just. What, you know what all I said to these guys you know I said to Bob that you know imagine your brother is on the stand and you're trying to get him to say the truth you're trying to get the truth out of him so it's just a it's a great little thing that he does as far as going along with Chuck's story yeah wouldn't that be great the two McGill boys working together and then trying to get Chuck to trip up and reveal the truth which he eventually he breaks I, him he breaks him on the stand I love the anger and I love it. It's like, yeah, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? And then he holds the look too long, and it's like, it was you. It was you. I know it was you, Fredo. It, right. It's <laughs> so good. There's such anger mm-hmm. in his face. It's it's so. Let me ask you: was that was that one day of shooting? That scene? That scene was one day. Yeah, we we yeah. filmed that in Jimmy in his office that day. Okay, the bit where he looks he, at his phone. Yeah, looks yeah, at yeah. the phone and, and charges it. It's a great scene. We like filmed how, everything in Chuck's house over two days. How what? many how many takes would you say on average for for those those guys those guys? I'm I'm always fascinated because I when I'm directing I always I I'm so 15, neurotic. Fifteen, sixteen. 
No, I'm not. 17. No, I'm not I think I try to do <laughs> like three takes per setup <laughs> and then ask the actors if they want to do any more, if they, if they feel that they've got it, and if they don't, we do it again. Because it's, it's an emotionally draining scene, and it was like you yeah. don't want to – do too many him. takes. And, Let me ask you. And the, the other thing is, there's a lot of smoke in Chuck's house, and we had to take a break every hour uh, because the crew is inhaling this this artificial smoke that they pump into. The smoke is for the lighting to yeah, make the lighting the, look for better. Yeah, for lighting effect. Yeah. And it's just uh, so you you have an hour eaten out of your day or more because you got to take a 15 minute break every mm-hmm. hour um, for the health of the crew, which I you know completely understand, but it. You know, you're racing against the clock, <laughs> clock and uh, every yeah. minute every minute counts. I, I have a question because we do have some directors that will, I mean, if you say you're going to do, you're going to go th- three and then ask the actors if they want another take, there's some directors who I really trust and they think they got it and, if, and, and they may not do three and they may use less yeah. and they are confident in what they got and yeah. they're moving. Yeah. And you know what, for me, I'm, I'm fine with that because okay. I can't think of any director that's come through that I don't trust. That's good. Oh, that's that's nice. good to that's hear. Nice I mean, to how do nice you – I mean, we don't have to mention any names at all. But, I mean, aren't you pleased with what you've seen oh, with, yeah. with everything? But I'm going back, too. Going back to the Breaking Bad days, it's uh, – these are good directors. Oh, yeah. No, great. But, you know, talking about myself as a director, I'm very neurotic. I got a lot to learn. I'd be the first one to say it. When when I w- see a, a take, say take one or take two, and it's really good, but I'm neurotic enough and greedy enough that I think it's really good. But would I be missing some riches if I don't do a take three or a take four? And and I, I don't I don't know that I always know when I have it. So because well, I'm fairly new at this. I can only speak for me, but I know the only time I'm going to ask for that is if I feel like I really miss something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I want to go back. Gotcha. Then well, I want it. Gotcha. I get paranoid because you just never know when you get in the editing room what's not going to match. You can't. You're watching it, but you can't see everything that happens mm-hmm. on screen, no matter how carefully you're paying yeah, attention. That's true. And there are things that happen that you get in the editing room. It's like, oh shit, that was a mistake, and I missed it. It's never going to cut yeah. or something. It's like it's like for safety, you want to even if it's perfect on the first try. It's like I got to do it again because yeah. you just don't know what you missed. Yeah, and also sometimes it it's, it just depends on the scene too and how complex it yeah. is. But also sometimes you know the, these actors that we're working with are so creative, they sometimes come up with variations. Once you may have get something, you, wow, that's really good. But then. If, if even on the first take, or frequently I've mm-hmm. had something really terrific, and then I think I always sometimes I'll say, you know, you want I love that you want to just just try a variation, and then sometimes that variation there's it, it changes the rhythm of it, or there's a little there's a little color in there, mm-hmm. and it's not even it's not even something that you're dictating to the actors, just you're creating an opportunity for the actor to have a little mm-hmm. bit of a little bit of play to it. So that's sometimes, but it's not not every scene lends itself to that. And I think we we really like that and we appreciate that when directors are looking for, just like you were saying, you know, maybe there's a better way to do it. Let's just do one more for safety. I think actors feel that you, directors like that really care and are really trying to maximize every scene. I I don't know that, I, 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 I question that. I don't know that I do because I really want, if the director gains my trust and I feel like, and I'm not sure what it is that I want to do. If I'm not sure what I want to do, mm-hmm. then I just assume move on. Oh, okay, that's mm-hmm. interesting. That's, I, there's uh, a happy medium, as yeah. with all things. Yeah. I, I, I think we all want 
the person in charge to I know I'd like that when I'm not in charge someone else is I want them to I want to have the feeling that they know what the hell they're doing and what what it is they want and I and sometimes you have to fake that as a director because mm-hmm. you know that's what people want to see from you they, they want to see that you so sometimes I, I probably have had moments uh, where I've said let's move on not being a hundred percent sure that we had what we needed, but uh, it's a tricky, it's a tricky dance. Well, it's, we've uh, never moved on ever. That if I mean, if I really wanted to do it, yeah, we would still be there doing whatever it was six years ago because yeah, yeah. I will never be satisfied. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. It's a as as with all things, you know, moderation and all things. Finding that well, happy it medium. Says a, a movie's never finished; it's abandoned. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, who did, who did so say true, that? That so is true. a great line. I don't know who said that. I think was it Kubrick who said that. I said that. Thomas Snell said that. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Done. I I got one one more question. We've talked before about outlines on Breaking Bad and on Better Call Saul. I'm not sure who's on the outline distro list. Are the actors on the outline distro list? Mm. No. Jen, the the lovely Jen Carroll is shaking her head. Okay, so I'm curious because, and, and here's why, Tom. Do you remember how early this script was delivered before you went out there to start prepping? Probably almost simultaneously. I'm lo- I actually have the script in front of me. The date on the script was nine ten fourteen. Okay, because the reason when it was released. The reason that um, I'm like asking that is I'm curious because this is a big deal that we I didn't see coming. I don't know if anybody saw this coming, mm-hmm. this revelation. And I'm curious at how when you shot this scene and maybe when you got to Albuquerque prepping and people were starting to read this, how did your conversations go with Bob and with? Michael at this point because they didn't know I'm assuming they didn't know um, I be- Vince and Peter I think called Michael to warn him that something oh, like this was really? happening so oh. it wasn't a complete surprise when Michael got the script that this was a, it was taking a darker turn so he Michael had some some prior knowledge to it before he read the script did Bob I don't remember but I, when I got there they had both read the script and they knew, and they were very excited about it. They really? Were, yeah, and yeah, so I'm just curious, because I, I wanted to at least preface all that by saying, they were. You know, I mean, B- Bob came and said, this is the most important scene we have to do. He really wanted to get it right. He came in with specific ideas about how to schedule it, how to who to shoot first. He, you know, he wanted to go first, do his lines first, because they're, bi- they're big and emotional and they're draining before we turned around and covered covered Chuck and he you know he and Michael discussed that and made sure you know they were both in agreement wow where by by I'm curious where was this scene on your schedule I think it was well? right in the middle oh, okay. like right in the middle I think we, I remember uh, filming these on a Thursday Friday I think they ended the week wow that might not be right though I mean, you know, I'm just curious, especially when a big revelation like that happens. I'm curious, and I'm sure other people, you know, out there are curious about how that actually is approached behind the scenes. I mean, it's one thing for us to find out. I mean, you know, I found out when I read the outline, Mm -hmm. but how actors prepare for stuff like that and how they've been playing the scene all that time. And, you know, it's a whole different thing from behind the scenes. So Mm -hmm. I was just curious. Yeah. Well, you know, Bob, again, I said it earlier, he, he did his homework and he, he really prepared for this scene. And uh, it was just so, he wants to get every scene right, but he, he really, he, he, he knew the importance of the scene as far as what was happening between the brothers. And, uh, he, you know, they both knocked it out of the park. Nice. Okay, well, I mean, that's pretty much the end of 109. <laughs> thank you Kelly thank, thank you, Kelly. you so much you guys yeah. thank you guys for, uh, for having us for coming over here on a on a Saturday thank you everybody for listening uh, one more episode one more podcast episode 110 Marco it's, yeah it's been a I guess it's been a great season and you know we can't wait for you guys to see this one and the next one and well I guess you guys have already seen this one so but the <laughs> next one and uh, 
You know, that's cool. Um, thank you, Vince Peter. Thank you, Michael and Jonathan, for sticking around. Tom, uh, you talented motherfucker. At some <laughs> you are point, a talented motherfucker. At some point, the two talented motherfuckers on this motherfucker will, will work together. <laughs> uh, thank you again, Chris, as well. You got it. And uh, let Bob take us out. Better call Saul. Yeah! Yay! <laughs>